You're listening to TopCast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com slash TopCast. Today we're going to be talking to somebody that's been involved in the pinball industry since the 1930s, clear up to the end of the 1990s. Uh, he was working at Genco starting in 1937. He also worked for a short time in 1959 at Bally, and then um, went over to Williams in 1960 and stayed with Williams until they stopped producing pinball machines in 1999. This gentleman spans over 60 years in the pinball business, and he has quite a few stories to tell. Special guests. Special guests. Special guests. Special guests. So I'd like to introduce Steve Kordak. Steve, again, Steve Kordak's been in the pinball industry since 1937 to about 1999. Um, also, Steve was unavailable to do this interview over the phone, so we've got to take TopCast on the road, and we went to Steve's house in Chicago to interview him. And now we're going to talk to Steve Kordak. When did you start working at Genko? 1937. Okay. And how old were you? <laughs> if you don't mind. You don't have to answer that if you don't Just mind. Just a second. Let me figure it out. I got to take a good increase. Give, let me get a chance. 11, 21, 31. I was 26 years old. Okay. And what, before that, I mean, how did you... How did, how did you get the job? I mean, what did you do to get that job? I mean, is it something that you wanted to be in, or you just happened to fall into it? or? or? Well, isn't that something we can talk about on this year? This year? Or is year that one? okay? Sure. Yeah, I'm really interested how you how you got... I mean, you're 26, 27, and, you're, and you interview at Genko? Or doesn't it work that way? <laughs> it was not that way. No? Well, let me tell you what happened. I was, a, I was a depression kid. See, when I graduated from high school in 1930 and went to college, I started getting a background of, uh, of electrical, uh, uh, of, of circuitry and so forth. After a year, I had to quit. I had to quit because I had to go to work. I had to go to work to provide food for my mother and father and our family. At that time, we had nine children, nine wow. children and my mother and father. And, and, and my father was working only one day, sometimes two days a week. My mother was trying, was walking a couple of days a week in the Bell Telephone Company, washing floors and cleaning floors and everything else to make a couple of dollars. And I had, to, I had, like my brothers and I, had to go out and try to earn a few bucks. Now there was a time, there was a time in high school, in 1928, when I worked for Zenith, and at that time, I was making $22 a week. <laughs> was that good pay for the time? Terrific. Really? I was only got $20, but if I worked every day, they gave me an extra $2, $2.50, I got $22. Then came the Depression. When the Depression came, I worked many places for as much as 10 cents an hour, worked 10 hours and got one dollar. Oh man. I learned then 
Everybody always asks me, what is it the thing that affected your entire life? The thing that affected my background and my entire life was the depression because I learned what it meant to have a dollar. So, what happened? They offered me a job in the Forest Service. And I says, okay, I'll take it for a year. Let's see what happens. I did. They put me in a ranger station. I took care of 20-some lookout towers that handled fires all over the Bitterroot Range in Idaho. When it came close to the end, I says, I can't stay. I cannot afford. They want to offer me the job again. You got to answer by May 1st, because that's when we have to have an answer, right. whether you're coming or not. I came in the wintertime back to Chicago. I'm looking every day. I'd go to church every day, praying I could find a job. I'm looking for a job so I can stay in Chicago. My, my family, my brothers, my sisters, my mother and father. I wasn't going to go to Idaho because if I go to Idaho, they'll never see me again. <laughs> Who the hell's going to come and see me over there? Right. And this is a story that everybody in the industry knows, but you don't know. No. I was walking one day down Ashland Avenue and it was raining like all oh, hell. I didn't even own an umbrella. I opened up a door to a vestibule, closed the door to get in out of the rain. Woman opens the door and she says, Are you looking for a job? Yes, I'm looking for a job. Can you solder? Yes, I can solder. They put me on the line and that's where I got introduced to pinball games. So that was the Genko factory right then? That was then? the Genko factory building pin game games on Ashland Avenue. So you just literally stroke of luck. Bad weather and rain and, and a street and you walked into it. Two and a half weeks before May, 15th of April. That's how I, that's how I hit it. And what year was that? Did you say 37? 1937. <laughs> so you were good at soldering? Well, I would tell I learned how to solder real fast, you know. Oh, so you didn't really know how to solder? Well, I, I had, being having some electrical background, I had no trouble at all. Okay. It got so good. So what was your first job there at Kenko? Well, see, they put me on line soldering, but I was soldering very close to where the testers were testing the game, see? And it wasn't long that I recognized the game is real well because I had a background of, of circuitry, you know, and right. that, that was simple circuitry that these games were on. And I, I went to playing a couple of games, hell, I could tell exactly. I, I was so, so close to the testers that every so often when they'd have a problem, I, I, I put my head up. I said, I know what the problem is. Can I show you? I showed it to them and they were surprised that I could. I was working there as a, uh, a solder and here I'd be showing them what the hell's wrong with the games and I was able to t show uh, correct them and fix them up, you know. It wasn't long that engineering saw that. And they said, this guy doesn't belong on the line. He doesn't belong here. He's good enough. We need an electrical man. We need an electrical man in the Department of Engineering. That's where I started being learning about pit games. That's where I got introduced with the most important guy in the world, Harvey Heiss, who was the guy running of that, who taught me everything there is in pin games. And at the same time, I started in electrical. Then after a while, I helped with all the pin games, and I had one hell of a time. Now, what was when you were doing the soldering, what were they paying you then? Uh, for uh, uh, 40, 40 cents an hour. 40 cents an hour, yeah. which actually wasn't bad back then, well, right? That was good. 
By the way, at least they got a job. Yeah, and then when you went into uh, the engineering department, yeah. did they give you a raise? Oh, yeah. So you're doing okay? Yeah. Okay, and what did your family think about this job? They didn't care what the hell I did as long as I was working. Because somebody, uh, every check I made, I gift turned to my mother so that she could buy food and stuff for the family. I, I was one of those things that I get a check at the end of the week and blow, blow it. I give my money, to, I give, I give uh, my check, I signed my check and gave it to my mother to buy food and everything. And she'd give me a dollar, dollar and a half or something for driving, uh, walking to, because I didn't have a car, walking to the place for... Uh, uh, place and spending a little bit of money on myself and if I needed shoes or something she'd give me money so I could buy a pair of shoes for a buck and a half or something like that. So from 37 to December 6th, 1941, what, I mean, were you in the engineering department basically other than your stint with soldering, you were in the engineering department, right? I was in the engineering department uh, in Genko up to 1957-58. But when December 7th came, and Japanese, you know, bombed Pearl Harbor, how much did that change everything at Kenko? We had the greatest soldering group of people in the world that could solder real well. And we started making walkie-talkies for the Marines. And they used to be able to solder in a, in a, in a, in a three-quarter inch socket, 15, 20, 20, uh, uh, positions to solder and still put the sleeves on there and not, never short out. That's how good how good the people were. It got so good that I used to train people how to how to solder, you know. And I used to take people off the street, women that used to c come from uh, from along the that that had kids working in, in school and everything would come work between times, and I used to just teach them that, that and that's how good. So now, the war broke out. So, the government says, we want you to take charge of all the soldering, we want you to take care of all the training of the people on, the, on all the jobs that we're going to get. So now they put me in charge of 800 people in our place. How many were working prior to the war at, at Kemco? Oh, about uh, six, seven hundred. Really? Yeah. So this is a pretty sizable plant. Oh, we had quite a plant. Quite a plant. Okay. Now, did you do any game design before the war? Oh, sure. Sure. And what was your first game? What, first game? The first game that I designed perfectly. Right. right. The, the first game that I had complete design of was 1947 and 48. Okay, so it was after the war then. So before the war, Harvey was, was doing out. all the game design? And I was helping him, and, and uh, I never had a complete charge, but I had complete control of all the electrical work on it, all the electrical layout. I did all the electrical layouts of all the games. Did you have oh. to draw the schematics too? Yes, we had a lot of schematics. I still have some of them here. And you, you had to do all those drawings by hand? Yep. And that was you that was doing yep. that? Okay. Now... Tell me about Harvey. Harvey Heiss was with Genko starting way back in 1931, 32. And he was with them from the beginning. And he worked only part-time because he had a regular job. But then when they, when they started, decided to get into making uh, uh, 
pin games, real good pin games for the, like for the bars and so forth. They hired him completely, took him away from his job, and that's where he started working. You stayed when he started building nothing but pin games. That's why when I came in there in 1937, he was so glad to get somebody that wasn't a dummy who knew how it was, knew so much about electricity. Was able to do that, and at the same time, he was training me and showing me what how he built games and what he liked about the games, and what was the purpose of building games with certain features and why and everything. I learned all of that from him. Now, what about the Ginsburg brothers? Did you know them? Oh, Lou, Dave, and Meyer, yes. Three of them. And were they nice guys? Oh, every one of them was terrific. And were they were they real smart guys, or did, was, was, did they do any game design, or were they just strictly management? They had bakeries in management, nothing else. Nothing else. Okay. But they were very, very, very smart. They were the smartest uh, Jewish guys in the world. What they did is they gave us, what they gave us is annuity policies. What would happen is, whatever you were getting paid, there was a certain fee, uh, deal that they would give you on an annuity policy. They'd say, well, now this policy is worth so much and so much, and we're going to put in so much and so much, and, no, you put in so much and so much, we will duplicate that. Yeah, well, matching. Matching. Right. And, uh, and then the annuity policy was, was, had big value, a lot of lot higher values. And every time we got an increase, another new policy. Every time we got an increase, another new policy. And these policies uh, uh, would, would be worth only good money if you stayed with it for 10 years. Hmm. So you didn't leave the place. Who the hell wanted to leave the place when you got these goddamn policies? 10 years, 10 years. Every time they get one, 10 years. Another one, 10 years. Another one, 10 years. So now you got these things. You can't believe how much money there was held into those annuity policies when when uh, when we all decided when we all left. So basically, they were they had like a, almost a forced savings program it's with right. a matching percentage. It's actually a pretty cool, pretty good idea. Yeah, no huh. other company had it. Interesting, interesting. So during the war, you're making walkie talkies. So all the pin game stuff is basically on hold, right? Yeah. No way we could build pin games because we couldn't get material. We couldn't get we couldn't get silver contacts. We couldn't get uh, uh, the material for the blades. And but they let you keep building it until you ran out of the material that you had in stock. But there's no way that you could buy it or get any additional material. And when did that? When did the inventories run out of that? Stuff? Well, about after one or two games. Two games. So by early '42, you were basically full war. Making walkie-talkies. Now, when did the walkie-talkie thing stop? Well, because we, that stopped as soon as we got other jobs. We did a lot of other jobs besides that. Oh, there's so many jobs that I can't even begin to tell you. You mean the, oh, during the war? Yeah. Okay. So then, after the summer of 45, the war's over, you know, after August of 45, when did production of pin games where you could get materials and inventory... 46, right oh, it was 46, so it took a good six months yeah, yeah. before you could start making games again. Well, we were already making games in 45, and we weren't selling them until 46. I mean, you had them all designed, ready to go, yeah. and, and then you just had to wait until you could get the materials. Yeah. Yeah. So was that a rough time between, like, you know, 
the summer of 45 and the start of 46 that kind of lapsed? No, no, it wasn't because we were hired, started hiring people, more people for because we were losing people, you know, slowly, and then we started hiring more people and people that could be trained to assemble equipment. That was very important. It was different than just soldering. Okay. Now, what in '46? What was the first game after the war that you know really started to sell good for Genko? Total roll. Okay. Roll down game. Yeah, and now the roll down game thing. The, Genko was really big on roll down games. Yeah. I mean, what's the history behind that? I mean, they had seemed like they made more roll down games than anybody else. I mean, maybe United had a couple, and nobody could nobody could duplicate them. Why? Why? Because we were the only company in the entire industry that had worked everything on the coils were all DC, were not AC. Everything was DC. With 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 first of all with with uh, with, uh, with uh, um, rectifiers. Yeah, the selenium yeah. rectifiers. Yeah, yeah, right. They were before selenium. They were uh, uh, the other one. No, the selenium rectifiers didn't come in until after the war. Okay. That's when it. That's when we were able to make them. Really make it. And since I was in charge of electrical work, I was able to do tricks with the with the coils uh, that nobody in even the industry could do. No way away. Well, what was the big advantage at the time of the of the DC powered coils versus the AC? Well, first of all, we didn't have to have a motor to run uh, all the equipment. I could run it just by the the coils with the relays operating to do the work that we wanted. How could I con control it? No trouble at all. I learned how to put copper washers on either on the front end or on the back side of the relays. One pl one place to hold it, and the other place to to delay it going in. So I had all kinds of effects on coils that I could have in, in, in the industry. I, we could do that. We were the only ones, all the way to the end, that's had that had that had DC uh, in our games. Yeah, it wasn't until and the '70s so, when so Williams and Bally started doing just selected coils DC. Now, why why was none of the other companies? Because they couldn't afford to change. They couldn't afford to change. Because it would change all the coils, all the relays, all the step-up units. Everything would have to be changed. Right, all the coil stops. Yeah, right, yeah the mechanics. <coughs> right, and I also noticed that and Genco they, games uh, ran at lower voltage too. Like you know, Gottlieb was running at 25 volts for the solenoids, yeah. and Williams was largely at 50, and you guys were about at 20 volts. Yeah, we were on at 20 and 15 volts. Right. Right, and that's because you just the, the advantage of the DC allowed you that's to do right. that. We were able to do tricks with them that nobody else could do with any with the, even the ACs. Okay, okay. So now I got a printout from the Internet Pinball Database of all the games that they say you designed, and they say that the first one uh, you did was in the fall of '47, and that was the um, Bronco. No, that was Triple Action. Okay. I'm sorry. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. There. Bronco. Well, say that again. They say that that Bronco came out before Triple Action. Well, I had nothing to do with. It. I. I was. That was not. Uh, I, that I, wasn't I, your game. The, yeah, I. I had a lot to do with it, but I was. You see, let me tell you something. In ninth October of 1947, Gottlieb came out with Humpty Dumpty. Right. Six flippers, 
Comes December. No, comes December, first week in December, Harvey Heist is hospitalized, cannot design a game. Hmm. And they came to me and said, you've got to design a game. And our show is the last week in January. That's only six, uh, uh, four, five, seven weeks away. We have to, you have to design a game for us for the show. And that's when you did triple action. So then I, I started working on a game. And everybody always asked to me, why didn't you put the flippers there where, where, where God may put them? They had them two here, two here, two here, and it was selling like all hell, no trouble at all. It was making tremendous money. I says, well, I when I started building, designing my game, I says, I couldn't afford to put in four or five or six flippers on a game. I was taught by Harvey Heist to be as conservative as I could be. I said, I only gonna put, I'm going to put only two flippers at the bottom, and I put them at the bottom of the game where they have been ever since. During this time, I know you weren't working at Williams, but Williams started using impulse flippers, you know, where you press... It didn't matter if you press the right side or the left side. Right. You press either one. Both flippers flip, but they just go up and come down. Up and down, real quick. You know, you just press them and they just impulse up. Where Gottlieb and just about everybody else, you could hold the flipper buttons in and you could keep, you know, there was an end stroke switch on the on the uh, on the coil and you could hold the flipper you could hold the flipper up. That's what we did. We did too. We right. Did Every, yeah, everybody but Williams did that. Any idea why they would have done that? I'm just curious if you if you knew those. Well, it's more fun than trapping a ball with a single flipper. That's what I thought too. But they made it, you know, so that you basically couldn't do that. And I know that was before you were long before you were at Williams. But I, I thought maybe you had some insight to why Williams used these impulse flippers. No, that was when Harry Williams was there because I started in 1960. Uh, uh, right, and then that was when Harry was going out. You were coming in, right? Yeah, right. Because I, I you became Harry. the head game designer. Yeah, that, that was that's where uh, uh, Mabs, uh, uh, Harry Mabs, was there. Uh, he's the one that designed the flippers for Gottlieb, you know. Right. And he was he was old. He was already seventy some years old, and just he didn't he didn't was losing it. Uh, and they wanted another one to replace him, so they stuck me in it, and they gave me a green good salary. And I says, okay, I'll take it. I uh, that in order to get in there. So that's. How I got involved with uh, Sam Stern. Now, during the fifties with Genko, was there any particular game that was really memorable, be it pinball or arcade? Because you also helped work on Genko had some unbelievable arcade games during that period too. Their gun games, Motorama, um, two-player basketball, um, champion baseball, high-flight baseball. At this point. Steve has a three-ring binder with pictures and information on all the games he designed for Genko throughout the 1950s, and I kind of go through it. Space Guard's gun game. That's all pin games after that. There it is. What's Kismet? It says partial. 
oh, 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 no, no. The reason I say partial is because that's the one that was started by Harry Mabs before he left. Oh, and, and, okay. And he had trouble getting complete. So when he left, since he started it, I kind of like to always put it on there and say something that uh, at least uh, at least he had something to do with it. You know? Right, right. Okay. Now, Genko quarterback. I've been trying to find that game forever. Would you like to see what it looks like? Why, do you have one? You have a Genko quarterback? <laughs> You're giving me that look. I don't know what that means. I gotta keep taking pictures first. Of all. <laughs> so you can now the golden nugget and the silver chest. Those were roll downs, right? Right. Okay. Sky Gunner. That was a gun game. Really cool looking gun game. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Night Fighter Invader. I've seen um, Shuffle Pool. What was Shuffle Pool? That one I'm not familiar with. Reflected. See, you see these pool to pool balls here. Mm -hmm. You shot. And whatever you knocked out, they reflected on here, from the top. So the pool balls were not were underneath this deck, and the player didn't see them. And then through reflective light, they reflected down on this almost like a mirror type surface. That's correct, right? So this is like pinball two thousand in nineteen fifty three. Right, right. This, <laughs> this look, look at that. Now, did you design the entire? Was, I had something to do with this with, with myself with Harvey Heiss. Huh. Now. That's I, I never even seen this game, the Shuffle Pool. That's really cool. There's a lot of other games you didn't see. Well, so we got Genko Golden Nugget roll down, Silver Chest roll down. Just to clarify, a roll down game is a sort of slanted, long play field that uses like three inch balls, and you basically roll the ball down this long play field, and at the end of the play field, there's holes that you're trying to actually aim for and it's it's largely a gambling game um if you want some more information on them you can hear about the roll down games uh that rob burke owns that were made by genko in the 1950s in our uh, rob burke interview sky gunner night fighter invader those are all gun games shuffle pool we just looked at match pool was probably similar right yes. two-player basketball rifle gallery right big top rifle gallery Wild West, 1955, yeah. right. Skyrocket Rifle Gallery, 55, Champion Two-Player Basketball, Quarterback, both 1955, Tournament Pool, Deluxe Tournament Pool, Super Big Top Rifle Gallery, and Score Pool in December 55. So you did most of this stuff. It was 53 oh, to 55. That's right. Here. Oh, keeps going. Sorry. <laughs> Should have known. Should have known. The list did not end there. Yeah. Okay, so then, 56, you're in Deluxe Tournament Pool. Oh, we'll talk about that in just a second. Wait a minute. King Size Tournament Pool, Super Deluxe Pool, uh, Baseball Pool, Grandma Fortune Teller. So the pedestal Grandma Fortune Teller and High Fly Baseball in 56. You did both of those. Right. And then Mark's, Mark's, Mark Light was a magnesium top pool game. State Fair Rifle. Davy Crockett. That's a cool gun game. Official Skill Ball. Official Skill Balls. Two player and six player. Uh, circus Rifle Gallery. Rotation Pool. Gypsy Grandma, which was the horoscope Gypsy Grandma. The one in the more squared off rectangle mm -hmm. cabinet. Mm -hmm. um, another Davy Crockett Junior Model. Super 21. Uh, oh, there it is. Fortune Teller Horoscope in September 57. Motorama, 
which is an unbelievable game, Showboat, and then Gun Club, Fun Fair, Space Age, and Flying Aces. Now, F- Flying Aces, did they even make Flying Aces? Who, me? Well, I mean, did Genko? I thought Space yeah. Age was like the last yeah, game before CCM bought would them. Would you like to see a picture of one? Yeah. Yeah. You got that too? You got them all. <laughs> You're such <Yeah>. a tease. <laughs> I just wanted to show you something else. Now, wait. Here's a picture of probably the most famous arcade game ever made. I mean, really. Oh, yeah. The Genko two-player basketball. Yeah. Probably the most fun, too. I have one of these. This game is unbelievably cool. What I mean, not only because it's head-to-head, but it blew away the Chicago coin version because basically the Chicago coin version, the guys, you couldn't turn them. The machine turned the guys, and the only thing you could, you could vary was timing and how hard you pulled the shot. On this one, you can aim them right and left. You can shoot for the opposing player's baskets in the top upper-level baskets and the lower-level that have variable point scoring. This game was genius. And and was we know that this is this is your baby. No, we well we both worked on it. Yeah, Harvey and you. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, who the, who came? No, just remember, there was a time period of time uh, a time here when uh, when Harvey Heiss was gone, and 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 the, and now we had either talked about it or decided together, and then we finished it up with that. Now look at this. This one right here. What is that? I don't know. You're going to tell me, though, aren't you? I'm not sure what that is. It's like a roll-down style cabinet. But that's Flying Aces? Huh. Now, who owns that game? Somebody somebody owned it and sent that to him. Me? Wow. I've never even seen that game. Now, look at there it is. Look. Oh, Space Age. Oh, that one there. This is another incredibly cool game. I have this, I had this, I had everything to do with everything. Space Age. Yeah. It's the one game no, I've no. never been able to find. It's not not a Space Age. It's Motorama and, and Space Age. Space Age is this one you see. Right. And then I had here uh, this one right here. Funfair. There's this Funfair. Funfair. This is the one that I enjoy. I enjoyed more than anything else. Right here. But the Motorama? Yeah. There it is. Oh yeah, Motorama. Yeah. Classic game. Yeah. Boy, is that a, is that a great day? I, 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 I didn't look at Genko all the way across. Okay, what else you want to know? Okay, let's let's back up and talk about the two-player basketball. Okay. You have any good story? Here, let's sit down. We don't need to be standing up for this, right? Yeah, well, about a dozen of these games and one of these I gave them to my brother-in-law. He still has it. Oh, baseball pool. That's one I've never seen. Neither had heart, neither did uh, this uh, 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 Robert Burke. Rob Burke's never seen this one either? Yeah, when he saw this, he almost passed out. He said, where's this game? I said, it's up near Crystal Lake in Chicago. Huh. That is really cool. That's incredible. Where I mean and you made this game and you gave it to your brother? Yeah. No, I, I we made a, about a half a dozen of these games and uh, I figured what the hell is the user just giving it uh, selling it. I can give this uh, put it packed it up and I gave it to my brother-in-law. And did he, 
you mean you only made six in total? That about a dozen. No, I don't know how many we made. We didn't make too many of them. Let's say we made a hundred of them, okay? Oh, my God. I've never even seen that flyer. Where did the flyer come from? Did you save that from when you were there? I found this among my junk file. Wait, hold on. We made the game, but Chicago, read on the bottom. We gave it to his bro, his son. Yeah, it says, Agenco Massagematic, Agenco product manufactured by Chicago Dynamics, which is, of course, Chicago Coin. Right. Now, this was a coin-operated massage thing? What I mean, what is this exactly? I don't know what the hell it was. <laughs> One of our designers made that, and then... It, it, uh, it was turned over. Now, what about, um, this is another kind of interesting one, Jumping Jack. Oh, yeah, we made that. We made a lot of, a lot of those. Is this like a slot that machine? It was, was like a gambling game. Okay. Huh. And then the Shuffle Pool, we talked about that. The Genko two-player basketball. I really want to talk about the Genko two-player. Genko's new moving style swinging player. <laughs> What's what? What's this all about? Get this Somebody on the East Coast uh, said you guys are bragging about swinging everything else, and now we get we show you what it looks like. Have something like this. So whose brainchild was this? Somebody on the East Coast in New Jersey. In New Jersey, huh? Okay. And then we've got the Wild West Gallery. You better good look at these because they may not have this thing in another month. And another here year. is the quarterback. Yep, that's the one you were talking about. Uh, yeah, and this game, yeah, incredibly hard to find. Yep. And then the the horoscope pedestal, Grandma. I just want you to know there are a lot of those games that are hard to find. Yeah, the Motorama, of course. Showboat. Gun Club, Gun Game, not to be confused with the Williams Gun Club, Pinball, Fun Fair, which we just, I just bought a Fun Fair. Yeah. That's kind of a cool game. Yeah. Space Age, though. That is something. That, that, is that game, a, that game's awesome. That is something. And and it's built in the Motorama cam, Cabinet, but, I mean, the whole, this was your baby, Space yeah, Age? Yeah, right. Now... now why the Motorama cabinet compared to using, you know, whatever, a different design? Well, because we had to do, uh, I had an automobile here. I had to put something to be able to ride around and do something on here, see? So that I had to use something here. The same thing I did that with, uh, when I did that to uh, uh, the other one. What's the other one that I made? Uh, oh, Motorama uh, and, and uh, Jet, uh, jet Pilot. See, the Space Age had a puck in here, see? Right, and you push the puck. And you push and the puck into all these different places. See? And then it spits it back out. Yeah, right. And you got to take it to the next yeah, right, right. The next location. And right. what, there was one, two, there was five. Yeah. Five were, spots, you and you had a limited to, amount of time to do this thing. And in rotation, you had to do it. You didn't, you couldn't just... Right, in order. Yeah. In order. Right. Right. And, um, yeah, I've heard that this, I, I've only known of one of these, I, I've only ever seen one. Uh-huh. You know that I I don't know who owns it now, but Larry Biza had one of these. Is that right? Yeah, and I, it was just he sent me pictures, and I was just like in <coughs> awe. And I guess there's another one in, in Europe too that I've seen pictures uh-huh. of, but those are the only two I ever seen. Now Motorama, you see a lot more of, uh-huh. but the um, but Space Age. Now, did you do have anything to do with Jet Pilot? Jet Pilot was also in 
this yeah. style in the Motorama cabinet, yeah, yeah. but it was a, a jet fighter that went around in circles and yeah. landed on the cities. Right, right. Or was that was that Harvey's? I don't know. I, I can't remember because we did a lot of our, our, ourselves, you know. Flying aces. Only four units known to exist. Huh. Wow. See, and this here, you see this main name here, Screwball? Right. In 1948. Yeah, that was the... You here, know let me turn this off. Uh, then was was played well, made good money, and uh, there's not too many of them around anymore, you know. Right. Yeah. Good, good game. I'm listening. Okay, so now, two-player basketball. Explain, what, where did you guys, how did you guys come up with that? Well, two-player basketball game, well, I think uh, it was just one of these crazy things that, uh, hey, basketball is a popular theme. Let's do something on basketball, you know. But baseball, everybody's making baseball, baseball, baseball. Let's right. make a basketball game. So we made a basketball theme and put it together. And it cost us a lot of money to make those little characters that were down in the bottom there uh, that could pick up the ball and, and right. toss it. But the, the secret of the whole thing was how to get that ball to go, go, go into the hands of the guy to shoot, you know. Right. And that was something that Harvey Heist was good at. The, uh, Harvey Heist uh, developed, but we had a man called... Harry Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, okay. a, a German a mechanical engineer. Was he terrific? He 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 just went, figured out how to how to do the thing and and helped us put it together. Yeah, because there's a center tube where the balls come up right, right. and it alternates right to left, right to left, right. To, right. Really ingenious little mechanism. Simple but ingenious, oh, you know what I mean? But it worked. That's oh, yeah, it works that's good. That's the water park back problem. And then you bingo, you toss it up there to try to get it. <laughs> right, and if you put it in your opponent's basket, your opponent gets the points, that's which correct. I thought was genius. Uh, you know, because if you make a bad, because you are not only rewarded for a good shot, you are uh, also penalized for a bad shot. That's correct. You get points for the other man. And that's right, which was I thought was just genius. We True got, genius. We got a real good kick out of that, yeah. And that game sold well, right? Yeah, sold very well. Okay, now, the gun games that you did, I mean, w tell me about those. I mean, what... Well, what happened is, we got to a position, a situation one time, where we thought we could make, uh, when, when we saw an original uh, layout of, uh, of some games with balls popping and stuff like that. We figured we could make a gun game with guns and, and shoot for something that's uh, moving around, you know. And that's where we started. And we started getting, uh, our biggest prize was the rifles. So we got in touch with Remington. And Remington was going to, ha was uh, uh, said that they would sell us the, them because we could use not one or two of them, but hundreds of them, see. Right. So they said, well, we'll sell you rejects. And and the rejects, to me, I don't even know if they were rejects, but because we got, we, we paid only $14 for the rifle, that's all. $14 for a finished rifle that was welded and so that you couldn't put uh, shells into you it. You mean so the bolt couldn't lift up, that's the bolt correct, was right. welded closed. Right, right. 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 Huh. And did it have the trigger mechanism and everything? Well, we put the trigger in, I guess. Okay, myself. with the switch. You yeah. guys did that. Okay. All right, so you're doing these gun games, and, and Genko did a bunch of the classic ones. Oh, we started the making. We ma we were making one game after the other. So it was unbelievable how 
the number of games that we built. We but we had a real good run of games, right? Where where uh, where uh, where uh, other companies were making baseball games and baseball games and stuff like that. We decided to stay with the guns because kids love to shoot. shoot oh yeah. Shoot. And then the best thing was the characters that we had in in in, in shooting. It got to a point where one time we even patented, and I have, and I have the patent on that too. We were shooting a rolling ball. You follow uh, what I mean? Right on a rail or something. Yeah, right. No, let's see. The ball would come up, then, and then when it would let go, you could, you could, it would roll down, and you could shoot it there. Then it would roll about in the other direction, and you could shoot it if you could hit, hit the, hit, hit the ball. As it were, right at that position, the ball would drop down, drop down, right. and that was something that I had a patent. I I owned patent on it. Huh. And then then we started making something that was even more exciting in my my idea. We made pipes going around, you know, going you knocking off pipes and the pipe would drop down, you know, five pipes, you know, five pipes going around. If you knocked it, it went down. You knocked it down. When you knocked all of them down, down, you got a special score. Huh. Okay. Now, what? tell me about Motorama. Who, that was your baby or Harvey's? Uh, well, Harvey has, and I started putting it together. And when he left, I finished it, and then I made the, the follow-up to it. You know? Right, the Space Age. Yeah, right. The Space Age. Yeah. Now, you used like a 57, uh, I want to say, Dodge for the car. You know, on you know, in Motorama that drove around. I mean, how did you guys come up with? I mean, did you just like say no, we're going to go down to the store and get some no, toys? No, it was what we could afford, what we could uh, what we could buy. You know, there were the, all these things were not available. You know, right. we grabbed what we could get. We grabbed what we could get that was be big enough to be able to put it, something and material into it. You know, right? React. You know, huh? And it was just it's interesting how. The steering wheel actually moves yeah, the, right. the front wheels right, right and left, right, right. and then you got control for forward and back. That's right. And you're trying to move basically to the different lighted playfield inserts yeah, all that, throughout yeah, the game. When, when you talk about people today telling what we did, they don't believe it. They can't see. They can't. I'd like to see that game. I like to see that game. Right. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to visualize if you've never seen one. That's right. But I, I, I believe you. Yeah. Now Tim Arnold has one, and I played it. He has a, a Motorama. When, and, when uh, were you there? That was maybe three years ago. Oh, I see. You know, and he's got a Motorama. Now, I don't know if he has it at the Pinball Hall of Fame. Uh, that I don't remember. But uh, but he's got one. You know, and Rob Burke has one. Rob Burke has a Motorama. Yeah, yeah. And he bought that from, from Mr. Fazak. So, okay. So now, what about the baseballs? The high-fly baseball, the champion baseball, and then the quarterback, which... Use the champion baseball cabinet, but the guy actually kicks the ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell me about tell me about those. Well, you see, Harvey Heist was good at something like that, and when it came to mechanical layout, you know, and he was good at coming up with kicking. And boy, he'd he'd, uh, he'd work like a dog and get it working to get it working. He'd stay day and night in the place just to get it working, you know. And that's that took time. You just couldn't. You couldn't just say put it together and have it, you know. It, you just want to remember that the greatest baseball games were made by Harry Williams during the in, in for for Williams, you know. Right. 
and when when uh, when I when I joined uh, uh, Harry Willi uh, when I joined uh, Williams uh, and Sam Stern was Sam Stern was the in charge every every spring he had to keep come out with a new baseball game we we made game 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 spring came another new baseball game spring 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 another new baseball game then they got so good they got so good that they started making one for the spring and one for the fall you know and baseball games were selling like all hell because it was a popular deal you know but to be honest with you I think the Genko baseballs are way better than the Williams. Oh, we, yeah, we had one heck of a time. Well, the unique thing about High Fly and Champion is that, kind of like two-player basketball, uses yeah. the same ball, right, right. it goes up the tube, yeah. and then rolls down a little incline, and then you actually have a miniaturized wooden bat yeah. that, that actually you swing, and it's like it comes off the, uh, off the railing, yeah. And free falls to in front of the bat like real baseball, like, right, like right. almost like, you know, I, I, I it's kind of like a, a t-ball almost right, type right, thing, right. you know. And I just thought it's so ingenious, you know. And now that was that you or Harvey that day? Harvey, but they, 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 that was Harvey. Yeah. Okay. And so you did that on high fly, which is basically a pinball style cabinet, and then you went to champion. And which is the same cabinet as your quarterback. Yeah. That thing is huge. And that how, thing's a monster. Well, I did all the electrical work on that. Except that's where the fun came in and making something like at work, you know. All right. Yeah, the quarterback, the only one I've ever seen is um, um, Gold at, at Cleveland Coin had one. Oh, I see. And um, I, I don't know who bought it. Oh, I know who bought it. Papa bought it. That John Papa guy bought it, and that was about a year ago, because Pazak dug it up, and uh, that's the only one I've ever seen. You know, was that one? That's good. Yeah, that's a that's a hard game to come by. Okay, now what about the horoscope grandma? You know, the horoscope grandma and the pedestal grandma. Is that was that your baby too? No, that was the Harvey and I worked on that together, and my wife made all the dresses for these things. Oh, really? Yeah, she made all the dresses for the grandma. <sighs> Oh, that's great! She she was good. She was good at that, you know. So. Now, the hat on the grandma was she modeled after anybody? No, that not that I know of. No. Okay, I didn't know that. Maybe you know, you, you know, because I imagine you had to have that made, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know if it, you know if you had a model or or something. But those those are among after post war. Those are the most animated fortune tellers. That anybody right. made absolutely, yeah. and the cutest too, because yeah. they weren't huge. That's correct. It was yeah. nice, and yeah, it looked, and it good looked good too. Oh yeah, really good nice. looking. Yeah. And you had the the microphone on the front glass, which yeah. was just a, yeah. a wood thing made to look like a microphone. Yeah. But it was really it's funny because I have one of the pedestal ones at my house. And it's got that microphone. I see people like trying to talk into it, and I'm like, no, no, it, it's not really a microphone. She can't hear you. But it, but it, I mean, it it's, was well enough implemented to to, to attract attention. Yeah, to attract attention, and people actually think it's a real microphone. Like they're really, you should see them. They're trying to talk to the, you know, to a one foot tall lady behind the glass. It's hilarious. So now, in '58. Genko bought out by Chicago Coin, right? Say it again. In 1958, after a state fair, yeah. Genko got bought out by Chicago Coin, right? No. Okay, tell me what happened then. 
what happened is they transferred all of our Genko engineering staff into Chicago Coin and we manufactured gun games under our Genko name, right in Chicago at the Coin. They had not, they had nothing to do with it. We were working separately and getting the same salary that we were getting as we were when we were working for Genko. Well, it got to a point where after a year or so, uh, they just they couldn't they couldn't uh, afford to pay us anymore. And at the same time, they liked our gun gun games so well that they started building game, gun games. You know, right. gun games. We were good at making gun games. You know, and they and they grabbed the gun games and they started making the gun games. You know, and so they decided to let us all go. That's when the, the, the big change took place. Huh. So, but how did this marriage between Chicago Coin, because it seemed like Genko just kind of, 58, 59, Genko just kind of evaporated. Yeah. I mean, why did, I mean, I don't understand how that happened or why that happened. I mean, so you're basically designing gun games for Chicago Coin. No, for uh, Genko. For Genko, but... Chicago Coins making them? I, I guess I'm no, confused. Yeah, sure, they were making the play. They were making it there for us at the place that they had the, the, the staff for for making it. Okay, okay, and and so then, you know, but after fifty eight fifty nine, you see, there's nothing by Genko anymore. So they just basically absorbed you guys and then let you go. Well, see, fifty eight uh, is when we made our last when I made my last game. My, uh, when I made my last game in July of 58, right. they let us go. Okay. They did let you go. Yeah. So I, well, then we had a problem. I had a very, very serious problem. There were four of us. Myself, uh, John, uh, uh, my electrical man, Barrington, my, uh, uh, my uh, uh, mechanical man, Harry Thompson, and Joe and John Murphy, who used to take care of our equipment on the line. You follow mm -hmm. me? Right. So they let us go. So now, everybody wanted to hire me. The pinball, uh, pinball, uh, you know. Everybody wanted to give me a hell of a salary to serve. I wouldn't go anywhere. Everywhere I went, I says, if you want me, you got to take all four of us. you got to take the whole design team. All four, the whole design, the whole design team. You'd be surprised that one of the first businesses we were good at making gun games, the first place I went to was to Seaburg. And the reason I went to Seaburg is because they were making, they made uh, some real great gun games at one time, but when they made a, a gun game that they had to burn a thousand of them in their backyard because it wouldn't sell, and it was called coon hunt, a, right. ra a raccoon going up up the poles. Up the pole, they couldn't sell them in the south. Well, how are you going to sell a coon hunt game in the south? You know. So what happened? They didn't break it. So when I went there and I knew they blew it, I, I I introduced myself to them. Said I have a staff of guys that know how to make gun gun games real good, and I would like to be hired out to you to make gun games. Well, they were very, very serious about it. They were glad. But after serious consideration on the board of directors, they said they had such a bad reputation. They didn't think they could set another gun game no matter what happened. They were sorry that they couldn't take it, see. Right, and the, and the Kuhn Hunt, I think, was 
55 or 56, and it was a rail-like game, which means it's basically the gun's a big flashlight, yeah. and then the coons had little uh, sensors in them, and then it had like a jukebox amplifier yeah. for and it actually made sound. You know, like when you hit a coon, it squealed, you know, and it threw this jukebox amplifier. And it was a tube amplifier, which was just incredible because the thing probably had to warm up when you turned it on, <laughs> you know? Okay, so you go to Seaburg, and you want your whole design team. You want to bring your whole design team with you. Yeah, well, they didn't want to even think about making another gun game, so that took care of it. So that, that ended that real right. quick. Well, the next person that contacted me was uh, uh, Lynn Durant from United. From United, right. And he wanted me badly to design games because he was pu pushing. He was the guy that was doing most of the pushing the games, and he didn't have time to do it. He wa he wanted somebody to take care. He took me up there to his bar that he has and sorry introduced me. That, no, go on. And and introduced me to the babes that were there, you know, and everything. Because United had designed some gun games, yeah, not as good as your games. Yeah, I know. And he wanted to to take to hire me. He said, well, he'd hire me, but he wouldn't take the other three guys. Mm. And he said, then he, I mean, I all real offer to me. And I says, I'm sorry, but I, I, I feel so responsible for, I, I can have no trouble getting a job. These guys will have a hell of a job getting jobs on you. Where are you going to get after all these years that they worked with me at, with, uh, with, at Genko? And, okay, such, uh, we're so good. So now, how did you end up at Williams? So, wait a minute, listen to me, <laughs> listen to me. So what happened? I didn't know where else to go. So I went over to see my good friend at Bally. Uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Mahone? Mahone? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, who the hell was in charge? Uh, see, Duran was at United. Of course, Harry was at Williams. I, I don't know the name of the Bally guy. Because during the 50s, Bally really wasn't making... They made some arcade games, but they really weren't making too many pinball games. They were mostly doing the bingos. Big time into the bingos. You know, the first the one ball, then the five ball. I'll think of it in a minute, just a second. All right. I went over to see this friend of mine. That he was running, the owner of, of, of Bally. Right. I went over to see him. I says, uh, uh, I like. To, I, I I have a problem. I have a problem. He says, What's your problem, Steve? He says, I got uh, three guys with me, who, uh, and that's four of us. But when we were laid off from Genko, and uh, I'm trying to get a job. I have no trouble at all because of my background in pin games. Everybody wants me, but nobody wants to take these three guys. You know what he said to me? I'll take all four of you. Really? I'll tell you. You and you work and start working on some gun games for it or something. But in the meantime, I said very good. Okay. Now I'm I've got a job with with uh, uh, Bill O'Donnell. That was his name. Bill O'Donnell, sure. Bill O'Donnell. And okay. uh, he went ahead and uh, and put me on a job. And I'm where I'm working. Okay. So you're working at Bally. Wait a minute. Now just a second. Now this is the end of '58, the right. end of '58. So I'm there '58, and I'm there uh, almost 
three quarters, uh, uh, almost at the end of 59, okay? And yet, okay. oh, you're to the 59. In the meantime, in the meantime, Harry Williams is being bought up by Sam Stern. Sam Stern's got uh, uh, this guy, uh, uh, um, the guy that used to, that originally built the four, six flippers for Gottlieb working for him. Oh, Mabs. Mabs, Harry Mabs. Harry Mabs, right. And he was getting, he's old already and uh, not been doing very well. And and they in these in these those, those situations they never they never approach a guy that they want. They send somebody, you know. Somebody says to me, Hey Steve, uh, why don't you call up Sam Stern? He he's been he's been looking for a designer and and he says and, and I he he might be interested, why don't you call him? I said, No, I don't want to call him. He said, Well listen, he can't call you, you know, that's that's not the way it's done, done it. <laughs> He said, why don't you just call him and talk to him? Okay. I called Sam Stern. He gave me a terrific offer. Terrific offer. And of course, I didn't get the kind of salary I would like to have gotten when I went to Belly in order to get these four guys in, you know. Right. So I says, I don't know yet. I, I, I haven't got a contract with, uh, with Belly, but I was hired by Belly. Here I am. So uh, this, this was now already... Uh, the beginning of uh, 1960. 1960. I went over to Bill O'Donnell. I says, Bill, I got a problem. Oh, you got another problem again? What's your problem this time? <laughs> I says, Bill, you know that when I came here, uh, I came here with this group of guys we, were, we built a, a couple of games for you, and uh, I'm my basically pin games is my background, and I was given a very good offer by Sam Stern, and I told him who, because I was not very honest, I was very honest with him. And I said he didn't contact me. I just heard that that that, that the man that he had working for him was going to be leaving, and I just I just contacted him to find out if, he, there, if there's a possibility for me to have pinning games with him. And he made me a very very good offer. He said, Steve, I'll tell you what I'll do. You go ahead and take that job. But don't you dare take any one of the three guys that you brought here with you. Oh, this is the perfect escape clause because for you. Because there were three guys that, got, that really got themselves working in that place. And did you know they worked there for years and years and years? And each one of the guys retired from Belly. Wow. Each one of the guys retired from Belly. And he let me go to United to 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 uh, Williams. Williams, and I started working there in February of 1960. So, what was your the first game that you really remember in 1960 that you designed? That I worked on that. Uh, you saw that this picture. Of that. Yeah, the right, right. It wasn't now, it wasn't a gun game. The first game. Was, right, the space glider. Right, right, right. Yeah, which right. is the balls that pop up. Yeah, and I, I only did that because they already had. Good, a good uh, uh, reputation in in the balls popping, and and St and Sam Stern said we wanted to make another one, and we want you to make it. I said, well, can I make it my own self and on the inside do what I like to do? I did, and I put 
buttons on the side, so when the ball would bounce, it would bounce off the buttons and do some scoring too, you know. Huh. He liked that, so that they made that game, they made it made good. So in the meantime, I was working and getting together to make pin games because Barry, because Mabs was really already working on one game, Kismet, that I told you about. Right. And he couldn't get it finished, just didn't get it working and everything else. And I was trying to help him out in that thing. In the meantime, I was trying, I was starting working on my own game. And the first game I made was Bobo. Now, Bobo is in that funky cabinet, the the drink cabinet, because it's got like a it's got like a bench where you can set your beers while you're playing pinball. The, the Space Age cabinet, as Williams called it. Yeah. What did you think of that cabinet design? Did you like that? What? The I Space Age cabinet? I was only interested in making a game. I didn't okay, so you, the guy. cabinet, you had nothing to do with the yeah, cabinet. No, I didn't. Okay. So, first year that I'm there, in 1960, I made the Space Glider. And then I was working on it with... Uh, with uh, Babs on, the, on the, his kismet, you know, and uh, he finally said, I gotta quit, I'm going. He went to, he went to Hollywood in Florida and I visited him there several times, you know. And then what, hap what happened is, I came out with the first game of Bobo in 1961. And in 1961, I made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games with Kismet. In 1962, <laughs> I came out with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games. So you're making a game a month almost. Oh sure, because what are you making? We're making only 300, 400 for games a day, uh, of a run, and then they make the rule through with the run, and they send everybody home until the next game was ready, and then off they would go. Huh. Now, at this time, Harry Williams was gone at this point, right? Yeah. Because basically, you replaced him, really, yeah. in the in the game. So you never really had to you never really got to work with Harry, yeah. right? But yeah, but rem I want you to remember that that the money that uh, Sam Stern paid Harry Williams for the company made him very embarrassed. So he kept them on a design deal while he was working in California, and he would occasionally send me, a, 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 you know, drawings or something. I never used them except one, you know, I, because I was good enough to build my own games. This is the hell with this guy. I don't want to use his games, and I kept and I kept all those drawings of his, and they're all filed away, you know. Hmm. And, and I went ahead and went ahead and kept going, and then I had. One of the people that was an it was in design engineer and in putting games for production was Norm Clark. Right. And then he, then Sam Stern says, "I, you can't keep doing yourself all these damn games here." 1963, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games. Well, I says, "What the heck? I got, I got, I got to get the hell out of this thing. Get somebody to help me because I can't keep going the way I'm going." You know. Right. So then, and, and then what I got is I got uh, Norm Clark to build games, and when he started making games, then we alternated after a while, and everything worked out very good. Hmm. Now, when Harry left the company, he started Southland Engineering in he, California. He worked, yeah, he worked in the, there, there, yeah. Right. How did, 
how did Sam Stern feel about Harry doing that, basically leaving the company, but then he opens kind of a competing company. Well, he wasn't. He didn't ever made any big games. Right. Though. He made arcade games. Yeah. He made, um, well, for instance, Williams Mini Golf was really uh, modeled after Southland Engineering yeah. Little Pro. Yeah. Do you know the story behind that at all? No. no. Okay. And so, so Sam Stern didn't have any problem with Harry doing this. It was okay. That's right. Okay. So these guys were on good terms. See, I got, and I was on good terms with Harry Williams too. By the time I go to California, I'd visit with him. And I got to visit with his wife. Because why he, 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 this was his third wife that he married, you know. And she was of Polish extraction. My wife was from Poland. So they were both, when they got together, they spoke Polish like a, two people that knew each other for 100 years. <laughs> and she, every time we went to California to visit my daughter, we'd go, after Harry Williams died, we went to head to visit her. And she's still alive in, 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 in Palm Springs. Okay, we'll be right back with Steve Kordak in a moment after these messages. Pins and Vids Episode 2, Attack of the Phones, is now available at pinsandvids.com. It's the best pins and vids yet. Double the fun and half the underwear of the first episode. Surely to be nominated for an Oscar for the best use of fake phones in a niche video or best special effects during a dream sequence. Worth much, much more than the $6 including shipping and selling price. It's worth at least 7 or seven fifty. Get your copy now at pinsandvids.com. And now for a word from our lawyer. The entire sale price goes to the Pinball Hall of Fame. First episode, also available. Some pinball machines were hurt during the filming of the pins and vids, but they were old. Get your deranged DVDs on Coin Up Goodness now. All right, we're back with Steve Kordak of uh, Genko and Williams with uh, some more stories to tell. So now, during the 60s, was there any particular game or era that was your favorite when you were designing? Because at the end, if you add up all the games you designed, you designed over 100 pinball games. Oh, I'm not talking about arcade games or gun games, just pinball games. You designed over 100 games from Genko all the way through Williams. So was there a particular era that you really liked or a feature or a design or something that stands out in your mind as, you know, what, something you're really proud of? Well, the first thing I was most proud of was the triple action that I made for Genka with the two flippers at the bottom of the game. Okay. That was number one. The next thing I was most proud of was when I made Space Mission when, and, and, and Space Odyssey. We made the record run of games Sold that, that sold the bejesus out of that game. Yeah. Man, did that take off! A four-player game, right? And my next four-player game was a was was uh, 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 so space missions. The one that you're really big and proud of. Oh yes, but I was up just as proud, and not more proud of of uh, the game the after game that. But the four-player game right after that. And you know what was that game? Grand Prix. 12,000 of them. 16,000 in one game, 12,000 in the next run of four-player game. That's that's the kind of a, a reputation I had for making games. Well, Grand Prix is a great great game. I personally, I like Grand Prix. personally, I like Grand Prix a lot better than Space Mission. I like Grand Prix. I think Grand Prix is a great game with those with those with those uh, scores on either side going up, and you built them up, go built them up, and you went to the hole to pick this. Right. Yep. Up, and you got the right. Big, I can tell you what how, exactly how the game was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm real familiar with the game. I, you got the two I spinners on, on either side. Yeah. The nice 
tight pop bumper nest in the center, uh, and you build the bonuses up the side, uh, drop it in the kick-out holes to grab it. And it was also interesting in that it was a game of incredible score. It was almost score inflation. Yeah. I mean, you would yeah. get a score of five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand. Yeah. You know where you know Space Mission or any of those other games. Right. If you got over a hundred thousand, you were pretty darn right, good. Right, right. You know, so but on Grand Prix, man, you could really get the points that going game, on that game. I loved that game. That game. So I had grades. Then are you asking me? Those are not. Then about the last game, the last game. Last full game, and I'm not talking. Uh, I'm not talking a redemption game. So redemption game. Right, no ticket tack toe right type but thing. Right. Last game that I built for 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 uh, and Williams, I, in my estimation, was one of the great great games of the industry. And this is something that you have to uh, understand when and I tell you, the deck that was Pocorino. Pocorino. Why is Pokerino such a great game? It was a wide-body game, and it had 11 carry-over features on this game. Four-player, and if a four-player, no matter what player was on, if he if he had whatever whatever position he left his his uh, his uh, last game at last game at. It, out of the 11 features on there, he'd get it back when it all back Right, it carried over to the next game. 11 carry-over features on Pocorino. Just remember that. That game, that they took so damn much money in Minnesota that the guy almost uh, ran it and, and, and these games themselves by and on location. You mean just Pocorinos? Only Pocorino. That was my last game in 79. How many games did they make of Pocorino? I, I don't know. But the production wasn't as high as, say, Grand Prix, right? Of course not. Yeah, Grand Prix was, that one really rocked and rolled. Well, so did Space Mission. Right. Now, you were the inventor of the swinging target, right? That was yours. Yes, right. How did that come about? <laughs> well. Because that came about in the early 60s, right? That's right, right, right. Yeah. But the best thing that I have in my, of my design was that, uh, that uh, turning feature that went, uh, when when one quarter of the way around, one target would be up, then turn around, you hit it, then it moved to 40. You're talking about like the, it was almost like a 45 record album with two posts sticking out of it, and you hit it and it spins around? Is that what no, you mean? No, 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 no. It, it was a... It was a uh, what game did they use it on? I'm trying to think, just to see. Put these on pause while we figure this out. Let's see. What we need to talk about is Attaball. Attaball came out, what, in, I want to say, 60? It was a pretty early game of yours, right? Yeah, well, we couldn't make it. Why? Gottlieb wouldn't let us. Oh. Did they... Just before that, they came with the feature Attaball. Right. And that they I used said, on their Flipper series. But yeah, what I, yeah, I said... If they can make it, why don't we call a game Attaball? When they saw our game on location, Attaball, they called Gensburgs and told them that, that they would not uh, let us use the word name Attaball. Right, and Attaball was like 1961, and you changed the name to Skillball. That's correct. Okay. But, I, how did, I mean, were you basically kind of copying Gottlieb at that point, or did you come up with oh, this on your shit. own? No, we didn't. 
No, I, I don't, uh, we just came up with the added ball because it was a good feature. Right. Uh, what the hell? It was a good so feature. you hadn't seen it anywhere else? No. Okay. Interesting. And was that your idea, the, yeah. the added ball? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Huh. And so it got changed the skill ball. How did that, did the game earn well? Yeah, it worked out very good. It turned out very good. Yeah, I, I like that game. That's a, kind of a cool game. The other one, what was the one I was looking for? I'm going through here, Jolly. Okay, wait a minute. Three coins. Okay. Oh, okay. Here we are. Um, Vagabond, Four Roses, Mardi Gras, Big Four Roses. Field. Hey, get that Four Roses out. Four Roses? Four Roses. This is what you were talking about with the yeah. with the spinner? There it is. There it is. So you hit that and she turned around. Quarter, uh, for, uh, you know. Right, okay. So it's kind of like a. She, a, a Kind of like a roto target, but laying flat. See, I had like a have, record. I'd have one. Ladder. I would have one, two, three, and four. Or I would have uh, one thing, two things, three things, and a star and another one. And if the star was there, you hit it. You know. Right. And this is cool. This is a single player reverse wedge head this was game. A, this was one of the greatest games we ever sold to uh, to 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 South America. Really? Yeah. Huh. I mean, did you design games specifically yeah. for yeah. other countries? No. It's just kind of how it worked out, right? Yeah, right. Okay, now the swinging target. How did you come up with that idea? Well, <laughs> that was uh, something new and something different, and we patented that and we kept it. Yeah, because that that started in the early 60s and went all the way through. You, got, you used that on space missions, sure. you know? And, and with the sidekickers... You know, if you got the ball into the side kickers at the right time, it would nail the swinging target just right, and then you would advance the lights right in front of the swinging target for the big points. Now, here's another classic that you did, the Heat Wave. Any good stories about Heat Wave? Yeah. Tell me about that. 1964. Reverse Wedgehead. Single player. Classic EM. Classic EM. With the thermometer in the back glass, so you had back glass animation. Yeah, yeah. That was something new and something different. Everybody liked that. Uh, so I said, well, let's make it another one. We made it later on another one comparable to that. Yeah, Heat Wave is a real good game. Um, I'm trying to see what other ones. Oh, oh, tell me about. Um, oh, uh, not Alpine Club. What's the one I'm looking for? Ski Club and Alpine Club. That My friend of mine. He loved, that's his favorite, two favorite yeah. EMs. Well, he likes the Attaball version. I think what, Alpine Club is the Attaball, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He likes, he really likes that game. This is Pot of Gold. Pot of Gold. Now, okay, now Pot of Gold used, in the back box, you had like a, a you know, where the separate Feature. little ball that kicked up and then went down kind of randomly yeah. between 100 and 500 points. Yeah. Was that, was that your, was that your yeah. idea? Yeah. And why, I mean, that kind of was really random. Yeah, but I didn't make any of those because it was not it was not a good idea to have, to delay a game by having them watch and look at something that's uh, happening in the back in the back in the, in the back glass. This is uh, this is what I was want to talk about hotline. Yeah, no. Wh why didn't you ever say that to the guys doing the dot matrix games? I don't know. You know, in the dot matrix games in the nineties, mm -hmm. you know, where the everything kind of stops and they do the little animations on the dot matrix. I know it's really cute and it looks real pretty, but it stops the whole game. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know what? There's but, never been a game like this made, like mine. 
hotline. This would be H O. Exactly. And 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 imagine that these imagine these flip these buttons would light up. L I N E, so you could shoot at them and knock them all out. Right. Well, just to explain to people what it is, is you've got a matrix in the center of the playfield with a bunch of rollover buttons that light, and it actually spells out hotline. Hotline. And it was probably your most complicated electric mechanical game ever. And I would suspect, right? And how? But it was correct. But you just did you design? I'm the guy. I'm the guy that came up with that idea. And were you the guy that designed the electronics for it too? Oh sure. So you did all the electronics Absolutely. for all. So when you design a game, you're not only designing the shots, the layout. But electrical work. But also all the electrical work. That's You're doing right. that too. Right. And you could do this in four weeks, from dead start to production. Yep. In four weeks. How could you do that in four weeks? Well, that was different games than this. It was not like these. They were, they were more simpler games at that time. They were. So at this time, because this was 1966, you're saying you weren't designing, you know, ten yeah, games a year. You just want to remember, we're talking Williams now. I, you're talking about the game I'm talking about now. It's going to Genko Games. Now, that Genko Games was simple and easy to make because it was D.C. Right. These were not D.C. Genko Games were D.C. These were all A.C. Now, in the early 60s, I think about 63, Williams changed from 50 volts for their solenoid voltage down to 25, like, yeah. like Gottlieb. Why did they do that? Was that just like a shock thing? Only, only because uh, we were able to redesign the flippers and uh, the, the coils in such a way that it didn't have to take that much, that much voltage to operate. Yeah, but what would be the advantage to doing that? I mean, well, you want to remember if it, if it's DC, if it's twenty volts DC, it would be like forty degrees AC almost. Right, right, right. So, did you ever say to Williams, "We should go DC"? No. You just knew it wasn't going to happen. No, I, had, I had enough trouble making games without worrying about the electrical because I, I, I would tell them what I want and I give the the layout of the game of electrical wiring to the game to somebody else. Hmm. Now, beat time. When you design beat time, which is kind of a has the Boodles, which was a takeoff on the Beatles at the right, time. Right. I mean, how did you feel about that? That I about them doing good. that. I'll tell you what, there's a story behind that. We were making, I think, uh, I think they released uh, 3,000. That was a, was a good run. At that, right, good game, yeah. And then uh, uh, Sam Stern comes to me and says, well, I don't know, uh, I think we maybe we could sell maybe more of these, but I don't, I'll release only a couple hundred more. I said, Sam, how far are you? I'd release another thousand of these games. That's how good this game is. I know a good game when I build one. He said, what are you talking about? I, 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 I already got 3,000 sold. That's good for me. And we'll work on the next one. And he said, I said, well, don't release it. Now it's a couple hundred. Release a thousand. He says, well, if I don't sell them, will you pay for them? Yeah. I says, I'll pay for them. Really? Yeah. But he still didn't do it. So he, he released a thousand. And, and he and sold And he them sold all, all thousand and wished he had more. So what happens if he didn't sell that thousand? You were you were bluffing him, weren't you? The game was a good game. Oh yeah, and with the tie-in to the Beatles, sure, it was attractive. Right everything. now, did you get into any legal trouble 
with the with the tie no, into the Beatles. Never, never, never. Nothing. So nobody from the Beatles That's contacted right. no, you. No, no. Boy, that was the old days. Okay, now talk about the the horsey games. Derby Day came out first, and that was the one where the horses were in the back box, opposed to in the play field. What I mean, tell me about that. I mean, you obviously Williams had uh, you know. They came up with hay burners in 1951. There's nobody else that had that. Thing. Right. Nobody else did horsey games, at least not in a pin game fashion. So what made you, you know, go back to the 50s and kind of like bring this design back and decide to, re, you know, to, to re-release this? Well, because because we still had the, a lot of those goddamn units laying around, maybe, maybe 50, 60 units laid up, and there was a lot of equipment in the doggone thing. I thought I'd give it a shot and see what happened. It worked out real good. It sold well, right? Oh, sure. Okay, because then you had Hayburners 2 that came out, which, again, was a similar... Well, actually, it was the same unit in the back box. Yeah. Two-player, uh, had the horsies, slightly different play field, Hmm. So you must have done really well with Derby Day to bring out Hayburners too, but the one. Well, you want to remember the Hayburners. If you look at the bottom, had a new new type of a flipper, larger flipper. It had the three-inch flipper. Now, were you responsible for three-inch yeah. flipper? That was your idea. No, I don't know if it was my idea, but it's there. Right, right. Now, how did you feel about the three-inch flipper versus the older two-inch? Well, it was nicer, but but more fun to control. Yeah, it was easier. Zodiac to was something I. I was very proud of. Zodiac. That was unbelievable. The constellations across the top. Right. And then we, I also made another one for Italy called Planet. I see that. I see that. Now, you like this game? I've never oh, even seen it. I like that game. I've never even seen either of these, much less played them. Now, what about Olympic hockey? Tell me about Olympic hockey. Well, Olympic hockey, what happened is I made that game, and Sam Stern didn't want to make it. He says, I don't, I don't like the game. I says, well, for crying out loud, I played like a son of a gun that's making good. So what happened, ha uh, Sam Stern was fired and went to Bell or somewhere. And when he, was, when he went out, I decided to have this game set up. They set this up and they sold this goes like, game like, oh, hell boy. So he denied you making this. Now, when you say that... No, 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 no. I had it, I had it made. Oh, you but did. But he said, that, no, I don't like the game. I think we'll go, let's go and make another one. Okay, so on Olympic hockey, the uh, it's got back box animation where the, the puck goes back and forth between it, and it's basically a solenoid that pulls in with a with a canvas belt yeah, that, that goes right. goes around on, on two rollers and, and pulls the thing back, and it's got limit switches for, you know, a goal on each end. And depending on which bumpers you hit, either the one team scores and moves the puck to the right, or the other team scores and moves the puck to the left. Kind of an ingenious back box animation thing. I thought it was pretty neat myself. Um, th that was all your design? Yep. Now, when you designed a game at Williams, did you make white woods? I mean, how did this, how did this, how did the whole design process work back then? We used to make a dozen games. And with, with, without silk screening or with silk screening? All, all, all finished games. Okay, and 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 set them up and start testing them to see how they played. Played them day and night. Got people paid them to stay day and night and keep make records of the games to see how they scored, how uh, how many free games they got on the way we set it, 
and we would be able to determine how certain, how well the material on the game would stand up, the new material that might be in the game, whether it would break down or wouldn't break down. And after we tested that, we had, we would send maybe four or five of them on location. Then, then let the location see what happens. After they got on location and, and spent a couple of weeks there, and they were still working good and didn't break down, then we went into production. So that whole process, how long did that take? Oh, that took time. That took time. Hmm. Now, were you always doing it that way? Not, no. What we did, we were doing that for the last uh, 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 about uh, last eight or ten games. So during the early '60s. You didn't put stuff on, uh, like have a test location to actually test it. We used to have we then we those we only sent out on a test. We didn't do the testing inside the house. Oh, you didn't do the testing inside the house. Okay, so who was the guy that played two, three, four hundred games of Olympic hockey or we whatever? Used to put, we used to pay the guys that worked in the shop. You mean on the line, the line guys? Yeah, the line type people, yeah people, people didn't mind coming in and playing games, you know. We, we, and, and we have all these games lined up in a, in a place where it was not, not in the engineering room, but away from production, and uh, we'd be playing those games. And they would keep like a log book of each game, what right, the score right, was. There was, a, there was a sheet there for them to keep a log on it. Right, and what the score, if they got a match, if there was any anomalies during the game, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right, all right, pretty cool. Huh. Now, then you did um, Winner. Which winner was a little different. It was another horsey game, but instead of having the horses in the back box, it was actually under the play field. And I wanted to make it out of plexiglass, and nobody wanted me to make it. They said, you're crazy. The ball will ruin the plastic on top, and nobody will be able to see the goddamn thing underneath there. I said, let me, let me worry about that. I screened the plexiglass on the underside. Right, for the graphics. And for the graphics and put it on there, and put it on location, and with all the beating that it took, the balls never seemed to show any anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never seen one that you couldn't see the horses. That's right. It seemed to work really well, actually. Pretty amazed. Huh. So now we're getting into kind of the 70s, and I see this thing called Match Race. What was Match Race all about? Match Race looks like some sort of a horse game. It almost looks like a gambling game. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a, it's not really a pinball. It's not a pinball at all. It's kind of an upright game. What, how did this game work? I've never even heard of it before. Match race. That one. And you only have, you don't have a flyer. Did you make this game? Yep. You did make it. Was it one of those ones you only made a few of? That's right. Okay. Okay, and then, okay, now in Darling, and you did this in Jubilee. There's two games, two games, Jubilee and Darling together. Right. And it's got, in the center, it's got that upside down U where you knock the balls over one side or the other to get the special or the same player shoots yeah. again. Was that your idea? Yeah. And what was the thinking on that game? How was that what was That worked received? real good. It worked so good that we made, it, that we made a, a novelty model, too. This was the game I was talking about. Uh, star action and, and, again, triple action, the Williams version. It had in the center, it had a plastic uh, platter with two poles sticking up, uh -huh. and then Williams reused that design in Arabian Tales of the Arabian Nights in the yeah. 90s. Yeah. Papa Duke, wasn't that? Yeah, that was a Papa Duke game, I believe. But you were the one that came up with this design, yeah. right? What, what was the thinking behind this? Uh, we just come up with something. Something dream, a little different, a little dream, animated. Dream about it. Right. And then Skylab 
had the same uh, Jubilee style thing in the center. Oh, Little Chief, I see that game a lot. People like that game. Which one? Little Chief. Oh yeah. People really like that game. Black Gold. That's an Attaball or something, isn't it? Oh, and then Space Mission. I have a Space Odyssey. I have the two-player. This is a classic that's game. That's a beautiful classic. Classic game. Now, the, the Space Mission Space Odyssey commemorated the Soyuz, or the U.S.-Russia uh, meeting in space of the space station. What was it? Soyuz versus our, I guess you'd call it our LEM. Or, I forget what the name is. Yeah, something like that. I mean, when you designed this game, did they put the art on after you designed the game? No, I went out and got... I got the picture of the Soyuz and the, and the Sear from from uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. I got it from them, who who were at that time working on the joint uh, join, joining the two in space. And and uh, I gave that to the artist, and they copied that, and they know no nobody ever complained about it. Huh? Now I see you have a Liberty Bell Shuffle Alley in here. Oh yeah. What's up with that? Do you uh, design the Shuffle Alley? Yeah, I have something. You remember what? What'd you do? I don't know. I just had something to do with. Hmm. Okay. Now here's one. I, uh, contact. You don't see that game much. Oh yeah, but that's then after that is. is that's uh, a solid state game. Yeah. Right. Then where's the? Is that at Pocorino there? Okay. Let's talk about Pocorino. So ten carryover features, which meant if you were trying to accomplish something in the game, and you didn't make it it would remember on the next game. That's correct. And was that the first game to have that many carryovers? Yes, there's never a game ever made that may carry that many Had that many carryovers. Okay. And you're saying that game did really well on location. Very, very well. Later, I called Steve up and asked him an additional question on the phone. The transition from electromechanical to solid state, you know, in the late 70s. Well, what was your take on that? You know, you had to design all these uh, 70s, you know, uh, you know, 60s and 70s machines and, and in the 50s, all electromechanical, and then they came out with the computers, you know, around 77. I mean, what was your whole take on that? How did you feel about that? Well, the biggest and greatest thing that happened after the flippers, I say the flippers were the greatest thing that changed in the business. The next thing that was the greatest thing that happened in the business was the introduction of solid state. Why? We were able to do something on the games that we never could do in electromechanical games. We could not make a two-player or a four-player game and carry over features. There was no way we could do it without putting unbelievable number of relays and step-up units and so forth. But when we got into solid state, Hell, we could carry over anything. That's one of the reasons why I told you about that Pocorino. I was able to carry over ten features on Pocorino. Uh, any player, any player playing, four players playing, two players playing, three players playing. But I never could do that in electromechanical games. So, to you, that was... I mean, but from a designer point of view, did it make... I mean, was it, did it make your job easier or harder? It made it me easier because I could put features on a game. I could put more features on a game uh, that would be more exciting than it would have been to have make it just a single player and forget about carrying over features on a single player game. Because what happened now that I've got uh, 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 solid state, 
hell, I could carry over all the all the number of features that I wanted to, and 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 uh, and it saved me money because I didn't have to go ahead and put the type of equipment that would have been necessary in electro. And in fact, I couldn't do it in electromechanical games. Now, how did you feel? You know, when you were doing the games, though, with an electromechanical, you did the, you did everything. You did the play field design, the shots, the targets, the point values. Oh, sure, I had to do it. What else could I do? I had no other alternative. Yeah, but now you had these software guys basically doing all that for you. So, I mean, how did that? Did, were you okay with that? Oh, sure. I had I had no problem. I had no problem. I, heck, I, I, I enjoyed working with anybody and everybody that would help me with my games if I could get them to help me. And if they were able to help me electrically because of the solid state, I was glad to have them help. What about this game Rat Race? That they, it was a cocktail table with no flippers. Well, I'll tell you what, we had all kinds of problems with that. We didn't build it. And, uh, and uh, so we. Match race or is it rat race? Rat race, yeah, yeah. rat race. Uh, they didn't. They didn't have. They just didn't have what it took. Hmm. Yeah, some of these game numbers, like on honey, you sold six thousand honeys. You know what? Jubilee I, you, seven thousand. Yeah. Do you know why honey was such a popular game? No. Because it was the first time, first time in the industry that anybody ever put. A drop target in front of an eject hole. Oh, to hide it until you knocked it down. That's honey on honey. Right. See, I can tell you that because I remember that very well. Now, what about Superstar, 1972? They sold almost 4,000 of those. That must have been a good run. Yeah. Okay. And then um, Jubilee sold over 7,000, which, of course, had that reverse U feature where you knock the ball side to side. Skylab, same same type of feature. Boy, you sold a lot of those, thirty six hundred. Star pool, you sold almost seven thousand star pools in nineteen seventy four. That's a pretty good run. I mean, all these games you got some good runs. Now the black gold doesn't look like you really made that. It was a one player. We didn't make it. Yeah, it's a, yeah. What what happened with we black, didn't gold? Make black gold? Why? Because it just didn't, the name didn't go over it for my operators. Oh, right. So did it get converted into something else? No. No? Little Chief, you sold a crap load of those. Oh yeah. my God, 6,300. And then you hit the home run with the Space Mission Space Odyssey at yeah. like basically 16,000 on those. And Grand Prix, almost 11,000. You hit the, you really hit the, uh, the home run on that. Yeah. Liberty Bell, you did real well with that. The pinball Liberty Bell. Big deal. Now, big deal. You sold over 7,000 big deals. These are good runs. Well, listen, my, 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 I had a reputation of having some, uh, some great uh, uh, run games. They made money on, my, on me on those games. Right. Anytime they made anything over 2,000 games, they were, they, were, they were cleaning up. Yeah, they were dancing in the streets, basically, you know, because that was... That's why Harry Williams would have let me go. Hmm. I mean, not Harry Williams, but Sam, Sam Stern. Sam Stern. Now, after 1978, uh, 79, when you finished Pocorino, you basically didn't design any more games no. until Ticket Tac Toe. That's correct. Why? Well, because uh, we had a chance uh, to build something for for redemption. Everybody was looking for redemption, time for redemption. And I came up with that idea uh, on, on Ticket Tac Toe. 
and they sold, uh, I don't know how many, a couple hundred, and everybody I talk to, they're looking for more of them, looking for more of them, because it's such a great playing game for such an easy, cheap price. Right, yeah, I talked to Cameron Silver about it, and he said that he had some friends that had some in location in Australia, and they said they still make, they said they make hundreds of dollars a week. Yeah. And he says they do great, but they said that they couldn't, you know, the the the... I guess the sales picture for like a redemption game is different than a pinball game that you have to be able to make that game over a longer period of time and sell it more slowly where Williams was used to just make as many as possible in as short a time as possible and, and, and sell them you in see, mass. You see, that's the reason why it's making so much money in Australia or it's that is because they, don't, they didn't make it to give tickets, you know. There was a way that they figured out how to make a payout on those games. Oh, okay. It got, got to be a, pay, a good payout game. Gotcha, gotcha. But now, why did, in 1979, did you basically stop designing games? Oh, what the hell, because you know why? Because I let everybody else, let everybody else take over, and we're now, we were, now we're in the, in the real solid state programs uh, of games and everything else, and and uh, we had guys coming in like Steve Ritchie, uh, 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 a couple other good guys, and they were all making games that were really, really, really big games, you know. And uh, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. And I was not interested in making the type of games they were making with all the wire forms and everything on ISIS. Right. That's not my idea of making a good pin game. I, went, I, I don't like those type of games, and I'm not going to design. So I took, I, but I was in charge of the whole damn place and, uh, up till, until I retired. Yeah, you were head of pinball engineering, right? Yeah. Right, okay. And so from 1979 up to when you retired in like 2000, right? I retired in 1990, uh, I retired in 1990-something. 90, 90, 90 up to then... You basically let these let the let the youngsters, as it may be, let, design let, the games. And let Larry Demar handle it. I'll, right, because uh, Larry was head of programming or something, right, or, or yeah, whatever. Sure. Right, Larry was the the, the head programmer. He was as it good. May be. He was good. I, I says you you take care of this thing. I'm just going to sit back and watch it. Huh? And Williams had. I mean, they weren't putting pressure on you to bring you back. Come on, Steve. Let's let's do a let's get you to do a game. Oh, they always wanted me to build it. Come on, Steve. Bring one more game. I said, Oh, you got enough guys. You let them. Play. You're making games. You're getting real good games with all these wire forms and wires and everything. And ramps and stuff, right? Ramps. I said, Shit, I'm not going to be making old games like that. Now, what about multi-ball? Well, how did you feel about multi-ball? Because a lot of those, like the Steve Ritchie games, are all large, are like multi-ball games. But none of your games were ever multi-ball games. Yes. You know? I made the first one. Which one? 1963. Beat the clock. That has multi-ball? Come on. Let me see read this. Ah, let me see this. Looks like you're you fall asleep. Oh, I must have fallen asleep on this one. With two balls on the play field at the same time. No, no, that is the first game that was built with two with, with two, two balls. Huh, and it was a manual ball load game. And so you would lock a ball yeah. and then get a second ball? Yeah. Now, how did that work? I, I, I've never seen this game. 
Well, I'm telling tell you, if you didn't see it, um, there's your multi-ball game. Beat the clock. Cool. Huh. If you lock the ball, see, there was two eject uh, holes. Look, two holes on here. Right. If you shot the ball and you could put one here or one here, then you, you got the second ball. And then you were, the idea was to try to put the ball in the other one so that you have two of them together. Now you got something really big. And then it kicks them both out. Yeah. Gotcha. Hmm. Now, how come you never reuse that feature? Uh, I mean, like a lot of, uh, a lot of because after that, everybody started making multi-ball games, and who the hell cares? You know, everybody's in that business. But uh, yeah, well, Bally in particular really well, got a lot of mileage out yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. But what the heck? It's not. A, it was not a bad idea. No, it was a great idea. I think it's pretty cool, actually. You did some games with zipper flippers. You want to talk about zipper flippers at all? No, uh, no. Didn't like that feature? No. Huh. Okay. So, now, so you had no problem in the 80s just letting these guys run with the ball. Sure. You know, the Steve Ritchies of the world uh, sure. designing the game. Steve Ritchie, uh, uh, Pat Lawler, uh, uh, Ward Pemberton, uh, Nordman. See, all these guys uh, that I had working at. And, Mar and Mark Ritchie was in there, right. too. Barry Osler was there too. Right. So what the hell? I, I brought Barry Osler from the blind and, and started him and showed him how to build games and, and he should see the number of games that he built. Oh yeah, he, he built some great games. Now, tell me about that. You brought Barry in. Yeah. Okay, now why? Was he a good friend? Because, no, because I needed somebody to help me uh, make games. There was You didn't have enough designers That's at the correct. time? Huh. Now, why Barry though? I did the same thing with... Uh, 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 Mark Ritchie. Okay, now why these guys? Why well, these because because I liked the way he worked on the line. He was a good tester, and I figured I could talk to him. I see if I can't talk to a guy and tell him what he's doing right and wrong. Uh, that's why I had got rid of Pompadour. I can't talk, couldn't talk to him and tell him what the hell he was doing right or wrong. Guys like that, I don't want. I never had working for me, you know. If I if I if they don't at least take suggestions from me. They were no, I'm out, they're out, you know. So. Uh, now, when Barry Osler came in and Barry started chip making games, he went ahead and okay, let's start this back up. Okay, so you like Barry? You got a whole folder here on Barry. Oh, Barry made a lot of games. Started in 1978 with Phoenix. Went all the way up to 1996 with Junkyard. Okay, so now Barry was working on the line. He was a, a, a tester. He was a tester. So now, did you go to him or did he come to you looking for it, uh, this job? I went, I went and picked him up. You did. And what did you see in Barry that said, hey, this guy can design, it's well, going to be a game designer? I could talk to him. That was the only thing? You could just, good communication. That's all, yeah. But how did you and know I, that he I, would could I, design I, games? Well, uh, because I broke him in. I taught him how to make games. So, he, oh, you brought him under your wing then. Absolutely. I spent time with him showing how to make games and what's right and what's wrong and everything else. He had some, he had some that, you know, Phoenix, I've got Phoenix. I actually have that game. I kind of like it. Um, Phoenix, Time Warp, they're kind of just there, laser ball, okay. But he hit a home run with Gorgar. Gorgard was a serious game. That really did well. It was the first talking machine. Right. 
Okay, and then you did Solar Fire, another really good game. Boy, people, a lot of people like Solar Fire. Keep going. Jungle Lord, another popular game. Keep talking names. Uh, Time Fantasy, Cosmic Gunfight, mm, Defender, okay. But he hit a home run. The Joust. I love that game. The head-to-head -head Joust. Whose idea was that? His. That was all his? Oh, sure. He got there at a point where he got there. He was doing what we got himself. That's a great game. And Space Shuttle, of course, was the game that allegedly saved Williams. That's the one that was really good, and that was his game. Yeah, that game he hit a home run with. And, uh, and Williams hit a home run because they sold Comet, another one that he hit the home run. And Space Shuttle hit a home run for a Gottlieb and for Bally and everybody else. Did you know that? Right, because everybody wrote on the coattails sure, of it. Sure. Because the pin pinball basically was on an upswing. Right. And all the other companies got to ride on that. Yeah. On that. Okay, Pinbot. Let's talk about Pinbot. Now like that's that? a killer game. Yeah. I like that game so much I bought one for my daughter. But Pinbot was also... Did Python Angelo have something to do with that too? Turn these back on. Okay, so now, Pinbot was Barry's game, and I mentioned Python, Angelo, and you kind of had a negative reaction there. Well, what was up with Python? You didn't like Python? Python was very tough to work with. I have very, heard that. Very, very, very tough to work with. Kind of a crazy guy, right? Well, I would say more than that. <laughs> Fire. Well, you know, he, he left and got married with a beautiful girl from Romania. You know that, don't you? Uh, I don't really know much about him. Hmm. She took him for everything and left him. Oh, really? Oh, man. And then Fire, that was another great game. Space Station. Fire? Yeah, Fire. That did well, right? Uh, I mean, that was a really good game. I owned one of those for the longest time. Uh, i show you. I want to show you something. Space Station, another good one. Cyclone, though. Now, Cyclone was a killer game. Now, Fire was Barry's game, but it come it basically had something to do with the Chicago Fire in the early 1900s, didn't it? Fire in 1900s? Yeah, didn't it have it, some... It, that happened in eight, uh, 1800s. Something. 1800s, okay. That almost the whole city burned down. That's right. Right, and this kind of... Come, I don't know if you want to yeah. say. But, but it was basically that themed around that. Well, do you know why I like this? Why? Because I was brought up in an era where I used to chase after fire trucks. And at my time... This is what they used to be. I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, 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 1915, 16, 17. This is the. They didn't no fire trucks like we have today. This is what they used to have. With they horses. used to chase with these big kettles on it. I never could have figured out what the hell they were. They'd come riding it with the noise and making and everything else, and you'd chase after them like a. For, to see what the hell they were doing, and that's how I got. And as a small kid, I a kid, I was five, six, seven years old. Down the street, I'd run after them, and I remember, I remember seeing these. Now, did when Barry did this game, was this your concept or his concept? His concept. Did, did he know now, at the time? He's the one that start 
I give credit to, to him for everything. I have I helped him with everything, but I he's the one. He's I give him credit for that. Now what about Cyclone? Now another huge hit for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jokers, I see that game all the time. Police Force, see that game a lot. Bad Cats. This was like the last single ball game, but this was a really famous game. Sure. I mean, really cute game. Well, there you are. You're, see, you're seeing games of a guy that, 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 that they went ahead and knocked off and laid off first of all, all the people. I was so damn mad I could almost scream. Well, why? Why, did they, why would they lay, why well, would they lay a guy they, like... When they decided they, were there, they get rid of somebody, they already laid, laid him off. He was responsible for the damn company being on the business. Yeah, Harley Davidson too. That was a huge hit. Hurricane, yeah, not so much. Doctor Who, that was a big seller. You sold a lot of Doctor Who's. Dracula, great Whoa. game, great game. Really dark though. Really dark game. Popeye, we don't even want to talk about that one though. He did Dirty Harry, and Who Done It, and Junkyard, and then in in '96. That was the end, right? They laid off Barry. And you were mad. Yeah. Because he was he was the guy that you brought up. Did you bring up anybody else? Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark Ritchie. Who did Indiana? No, no, yeah, yeah, it's Mark Ritchie. Yeah, Steve's brother. Sure, yeah. Now, why Mark Ritchie? I don't know, but I don't know how the hell we ever got him into engineering, but he found himself in engineering, and uh, I, I helped him in a lot of games. I had helped him with a lot of games that he had trouble with, and he, he was good. He was good, but he he just didn't have the the the. Well, I don't want to talk about it. That's fine. He did some great games, though. Well, he did some good. I games. mean, the Indiana Jones is a classic. Oh hell yes! Yeah, great oh, game, yes. great game. Yeah, actually, all the games he did were really, yeah, really. I have an Indiana Jones. You do. It's a great game. It really is. I mean, did now who else did you bring in? I didn't bring anybody else in. Just those two guys. And those are the two guys. Now, it doesn't sound like you got along quite well, as well with Mark well, as you, you did see, with Barry. I got in some people that you wouldn't believe. You know, you know, you know Mike Stroll? No, I don't. Well, he's the president, was the president of the company. And when we started working solid state, the company wanted to get somebody that had a solid state background. So we went to California to uh, uh, one of the big uh, solid state companies and we met I met this guy that I thought was going to make it, and I recommended him. They had, and they brought him in and try him out. He turned out good, and he was the president of the of the company for several years. Hmm. Mike Stroll. Okay. Who else? Any other any other people like that? No. None. How about um, any of the artists that you brought in? Art that had nothing to do with artists. Nothing to do with any of the art. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. So. What did you think of Pinwall 2000 when that came? Uh, it was good, but it, it, we, were, we, were, we were going into something that, that the regular pinball players never really enjoyed playing. I used to get so damn many calls from old-time pinball players. What the hell, Steve, are you going to have a game made that, like you used to make with drop targets and stuff instead of all this wire form and everything, and it takes me uh, five games to learn what the hell the game is doing. So I play the game three, four, five times, I still don't know what the hell it's doing, you know? And they don't, they don't didn't like that. So I was responsible for helping make the last game 
before they went into the video games in their bag, and that was Cactus Canyon. Great game. I love that game. And I was responsible for making Cactus Canyon. I liked the drop, the individual drop cards for the bad guy. I was responsible for that because the front office said, we have one more game to make before we get into this thing, and three guys are going to make presentations of games of, of for us, and I want you to decide which one we're going to use. All three guys came up with, with working white wood models. And I talked to these guys about, I, that I knew, listen, good in drop targets, that's all I get talking is putting drop targets, put the damn trial guards in, that's what you, drop target, what for? Put drop targets in the game, make them with drop targets. All three, three guys presented games, the front office okayed one model, not Cactus Canyon. Really? What they was that me, one? And they asked me. I said, I would I will do Cactus Canyon. Why would you do Cactus Canyon? You've got thinking about the old drop. Because it's the kind of games that people want to play. Well, after a lot, of a lot of kicking around, a lot of kicking around, they decided to go with Cactus Canyon. And son of a gun, they had so damn many of them that even today that goddamn game is selling for $1,000 if you can find one. Right. If you can find one, you get a thousand bucks for it. It's a cool game. I really like it. I own one. I own a Cactus yeah. Canyon. Well, I like those. I targets. think the I think the bad guy concept with oh. the targets where you got to kill the bad guys yeah. on the playthrough. Great idea. That was awesome idea. That was terrific. With yeah. Those, uh, and, and and that's what I, I said is going to go over now. And and in front of us always says to me, "Geez, did we miss the boat? We should have made water." Well, what the hell? I was telling you at that time that this was a, what the people are outside looking for, what people that were used to play pin games are looking for. Hmm. Now, what were the other designs that got rejected? Uh, they were, no, there were those guys, crappy stuff like stuff that Steve Ritchie was making and all the other guys, you know, wire forms and a bunch of crap in there. Hmm. I, 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 never, I, never, I never enjoyed too much playing uh, those games. The reason is that is because as good a pinball player as I am, I don't want to have to take, play five, six games to find out what the hell I'm shooting for or what I'm going to be shooting for. Oh yes, but we light up these things and tell you uh, what, what, you, what you should be going for. Right. Well, that's good, but, but what do I do to get these things? You know, what, what, you know. So, the guy that designed Cactus Canyon was Matt Coriel. Who was a complete newcomer, right? Yep, yep. And when and he was the one that made the presentation to you. Yep. And you no, no, said no, he no he did not make the presentation. He was the one that was going to make the games, and I said make it with a goddamn drop targets. Okay, so he didn't actually come up. He wasn't one of the three he guys. He made a model that was not, had no drop targets. I said you oh. make a model that has drop targets and reworked the goddamn game, and that's what Cactus Canyon came out. I gotcha. Okay, interesting. Huh. Now, when Pinball 2000 came and Lawler and Gomez come in with their hollow pin, and I'm sure you were, you were in that meeting when they showed it to the you know, engineering you know, group, what did you think? Well, I wasn't going to get to give my opinion. I was waiting for what everybody else would say. Everybody was crazy. Oh, great game. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, it's a great game. So you didn't really like the concept no. so much. 
too complicated? I was there to see the game off the line. You know, they even took pictures with me off the damn thing. Right, the last one coming sure, off the line. Off the line, so I took a picture with me of that. What the hell? So that's why I was still in charge of the department, you know. But to Pinball 2000 just wasn't your thing. Hmm. Now, what about Nicastro? How, I mean... Ne which one, Neil or Lou? Neil. The youngster, the young Nicastro. Well, what's your feeling about what? About Pinball 2000 and Nicastro and, and and the whole management and how they reacted to it and ended up closing it, you know, before it even really got it going. Just let me tell you something. There's a lot of stories about Neil, and if I haven't got anything good to say, I don't want to say it. Okay. Come on, I want to hear some not-so-good stories. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but I have to be very honest with you. That's fine. That's fine. So, yeah, they, you know, you can't add anything to, like, were they gunning for pinball, you know, to, to close pinball? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They, they began, you know, when they made a couple of those later on games, uh, with the with the video jobs, it, it turned out pretty nice. I like it. I, especially I liked what was that one? Uh, Revenge? Revenge. Revenge from Mars. No, no. What's Star the, Wars Episode One. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Wizard Blocks. Revenge from Mars. Go ahead. Keep going. There's well, that was basically it. I mean, there was Playboy, but that didn't get very far. I don't think. Revenge from Mars. I think that was the one that was so good. Yeah, I like the revenge. That, revenge that was, I think, that was the best of the, of the whole batch. Right. Yeah, but as far as the game, as far as, I, I have to go by what, uh, what, uh, uh, front office was responsible for, for, for the problems that we ran into, and the major problems that we ran into pinball, and uh, it, it was not the designers, it was the front office that was responsible for it. So you think the problem really was not anything that you guys were doing, it was the front office just wasn't giving you the support that you guys needed to, to really make this it's go. A, it's, not, it's a different thing. It was not the support that they didn't give it. Let's put it like this. They wanted you to do something uh, that, that uh, we as designers didn't necessarily think was necessary. And uh, you can't make a pin game, every pin game, with so many new features on it that it costs so doggone much money that you can't sell it, you know. All right. And there was a demand for it, demand for it, demand for it, demand for it, which just didn't make sense. Huh. Hmm. So the whole pinball yes, 2000... If, if you talk you talk to people who are with design the department and that, there's a lot of people that won't tell you, they won't, won't talk too much about it because they just don't want to, uh, you know, commit themselves. Right. I don't want to either. Hmm. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to get the... One of these days, you'll get the, you'll get the answers one someday. It, yeah, it's hard to get the answers. Nobody wants to tell the story. Well, that's because we all work for the guys. Right. Right, so there isn't really much that you can say then in that regard. No, nothing that I can say much about it for publication. So now I'm telling you how... I will. I lived to this evaluation. Mm. So what happens? Then we went to Nickel, went into the dime, 
and quarter was a great back, but it was a great back. Is a we had to get off the dime. You know why, don't you? No, because the damn dime after the, the those dimes, the oh. silver dimes, would get so doggone thin, thin. that they, they wouldn't they wouldn't even register in the in the, in the, in the goddamn right or were jam. We had to go into quarters. So now what do we do with the quarters? Oh, okay. So we had to make a quarter would give you three three game would give you right. three games for that for, for quarter. So now that now we get games all played a quarter 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 quarter. Well, getting we got away for it now with all this adjustments. No more adjustments. Almost quarter because we had to because we were charging more for the games. Quarter is working all right. Then we try like hell to get half a dollar. Where the hell you got half a dollar? You may have no half a dollar, so you have to put a dollar in it, right? So now we started putting in dollars into the games to play so many games, so many games, so many games. And, it, and finally the damn thing goes pot because the dollar coin... Yeah, the dollar coin, yeah. The dollar, not the dollar coin, the dollar acceptor was, was screwed up, you know. Oh, the bill acceptor. So, yeah, was, yeah. Uh, holy Christ, slowly, 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 slowly going to pot, and there I am, the, first of all, the, uh, in charge of designing vice president, and I was president and finally of the, the game designing the department, and, and then for a while at Williams, I was even on the board of directors and, and had, had tried to help, uh, help to get the games going. And everything was working all right, and we had, like I told you, on the 70s, we had a great run of games because games were playing only for a quarter, but the games were still not too badly charged. But then it began to be more expensive, more expensive, more expensive. Shit, today, guy, guy today, guy doesn't get it, he does, he, he's lucky to get his money back in two or three years at the rate of paying, paying $4,000 for a game. Hmm. So it's it's just surprising, and all hell that even Stern is able to last it. But he isn't making games a lot of games like he'd like to. But uh, he has a cheap help, and he's got uh, uh, I don't know designers. He must be paying them just to what 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 games that he can make, you know, and stuff like that. So I go there once in a while, and I I, I know all the guys that are there. So I kind of hate to get involved because. They asked me, well, why don't you make a game? Well, you, you used to make so many great games. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved. Now, when Williams moved production, pinball production, from California Avenue to Waukegan, how did you feel about that? I mean... Well, well, well the only reason they did that is because the, uh, they, they had to use uh, the... the you have anything to do with unionized help? Yeah, and unionized help, especially we didn't have to. We went to walk. You know, they had three places that they were looking for. One of them, they almost bought what I which I discouraged them to buy. But I won't tell you where the hell it was at. I but the, the Waukegan deal was good because they could get people from Waukegan. They not only had people from Waukegan, they had them from Wisconsin coming in from Racine. And working at at this place. So basically, the move to Waukegan was a was a union busting move. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, because they didn't want to use unionized help anymore. So yeah. Interesting. And that I, I thought that was the case, and I, once again, I asked some other Williams guys, and they all nobody and there was wants a lot of people that uh, that uh, went over to the work there, you know. Right. Right. 
So this is the this is the story in the history of Pinball's slow decline and, and going down the drain. Do you think it'll come back? No. Why? Too labor intensive? The, the reason it won't come back is because we don't have the people out there to play the pin games. Oh, the players are missing. There are great pinball players that when they're in the shows that are playing are great. When we're at the shows, they're great pinball players in there. But they're not the kind of guys that'll go to a location and play to the goddamn games. Where, where are they on location? Where are the pin games on location today? Tell me. Right. Yeah, very few places. Where well, can you go today to see a pin game that you can play? Right. Hmm. All right, Steve. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate oh, you I, having I, me I, over. I had a lot of fun. I just, I just was glad that I got a chance to talk and tell you how I feel about some of this business. But it's. Uh, Do you have games in the basement? I have two of them. Can I photograph them? Come on. Oh, you won't. You can't photograph. I got so much crap on them. You won't want to. Oh, I can't see them. Okay. What what games do you have in the base? Jokers and uh, and uh, Indiana Jones. Also, oh, you got one Barry and one Mark game. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, I had four more, but I already gave them away to my kids. You know. Oh, okay. A comet I gave away to one of my kids, and I had uh, the one that had the card game, either uh, uh, the poker game, which either nine ball or or, or formation, you know. Or right, Pokerino. Pokerino. No, no, no. It's another game. And then uh, I had this. Uh, then I had, I had four of the, three of the greatest games that Harry Williams ever built. First of all, his first game, Suspense, right, brand new. I built. I also had the first game that he ever had a wire form on it, and I had the first game that he ever built with a disappearing jet bumper. Gusher. All, all gusher. Gusher. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a gusher. I've got a, um, a Sea Wolf too with the same feature. I, I donated some of these to the show in in Las Vegas. Oh, oh, to the Pinball Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you had Pinball Circus, right? That was your that was your. I mean, that was Python design game, but you had the Pinball Circus, and you and you gave that to the Pinball Hall of Fame or loaned it to them at least. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about the Pinball Circus. How did you feel about that game? Game was a terrific game. It was. Except that the guy that laid out the bottom of the playfield was not a pin game layout man. Who laid out the bottom of the playfield? Python. Python. Okay. And, and it, 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 if it was only laid out like for like, like a pin game player makes a game, you know, it would have, it would have been even bit better. But it's a great game. It's a great, great game. Right now, that game is taking in one dollar a play in, right. in, in, in over the in the in. Los Angeles. And there were two of those made, right? million and a half dollars a piece. So where's the second one? You're not telling me, are you? No, I know where it's at. But you're not going to tell me, are you? No. Okay, good for you. Just checking. i got to keep you honest. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thanks. I'd like to thank Steve Kordak for allowing TopCast and I to come into his home to interview him uh, for our show. It really was nice to see the man in 
person opposed to doing this over the phone. It was, it was a great time and a great interview. A guy that's just got tons of pinball history and tons of stories to tell since he's been in the business for 60 years. Steve is also going to be celebrating his 96th birthday in the next month or so. So we, uh, we are really happy to have him tell us all these great stories. So again, thank you, Steve. And until their next time, on TopCast, I'll look for you soon.